Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time as we gather around this, your word as the church. We pray, Father, that it will be profitable, Lord, for us this morning. That we can leave this place, Lord, better understanding as we desire each week of who we are in our sin, our depravity, and our lostness, Father. But yet who you are as Redeemer, Saviour, King, Lord, and God. Therefore, Father, speak to us individually. Speak to us collectively through the pressing in of this word on our hearts. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, we ask. May we be open and receptive for your word, for correction, for teaching, for discipline, for uplifting, and for comfort, Father, as we study the word together this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So what I want to look at primarily this morning is from verse 13. Until I come, devote yourself to public reading of Scripture, to the exhortation, and to teaching. And for many of us, whenever we see this, we may simply just glance over, but we have to understand that Paul here is starting to understand that he is not going to be with Timothy. Hence this letter. He's understanding that he's, he's going to be longer than he had planned before he comes to see Timothy. And ultimately we know through 2 Timothy that Paul doesn't actually get to come and see Timothy. So what he says here is amongst the things that he has to do personally to be able to deliver the word, he also tells him and instructs him what the church service should look like. So he says, until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture. Now, for many of us, we may ask, well, what does that mean that, that Timothy's to go up onto the street and publicly read it? No, he's saying here, it is for the church. You're to publicly read the scriptures. What scriptures? Old Testament primarily, but also the New Testament epistles and letters that we have today. And what I want to do is I want us to unpack that word reading so we can understand why it is that the church today looks like it looks, why is it that we're sitting here this morning hearing the reading of God's word, then being taught the application of it, taught what it means, and then hopefully being able to apply it to our lives. And we see hints and glimmers of this if we turn to places like the Gospel of Luke, chapter 4, verse 16. If you turn there, please. Gospel of Luke, chapter 4, verse 16. And here we have Jesus as he's coming to Nazareth, about to enter into the synagogue. And we read from verse 16. And he came to Nazareth, talking about Jesus, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day. And he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives. To recover the sight to the blind. To set at liberty those who are oppressed. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. Now here we have Jesus doing what was custom to him. And customary throughout uh, the Jewish custom, which was to spend the time on the Sabbath day at the synagogue through the reading of the Word of God. This is exactly what Jesus does. He enters into the synagogue, he's handed the scroll of Isaiah, the prophet, and he turns this reading and he reads it and then he sits down. 
Now we have to ask ourselves, why does he sit down? He sits down because not only is Timothy called to model himself after what Paul did, what Christ did, and also right throughout church history, is to not only just read the word of God, but to explain what it means. To exegete the passage, if we want to say say that. To be able to give a clear understanding to those who hear it. And this is what we see Jesus doing. He sat down and the eyes of all the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And he goes in to teach what that actually means. This is the model for which Timothy is being called to by Paul. Keep reading the word of God. Explaining the word of God. Teaching the word of God. We also see it if we turn to Nehemiah chapter 8. Nehemiah chapter 8, 1 through 8. Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 1. And all the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate. Everyone was crammed together. And they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, both men and women, and all who could understand what they heard. On the first day of the seventh month, and he read from it facing the square before the water gate. From early morning until midday, in the presence of men and women and those who could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. And Ezra the scribe stood on a wooden platform that they had made for the purpose. And beside him, and it goes in to listing those who were there. So here we see the first sort of assembling of the church format. The gathering of all the people. The reading of the word, the lifting up of somebody upon a wooden platform, quite similar to what we have here. All these attributes that we take to be so common within church are taken from scriptural context. And here again we see the reading of the word and how important it is for God's people to assemble together for the reading of God's word. You also see if you uh, look at verse 8 where it says, They read from the book. From the law of God clearly and give the sense so that the people understood the reading. So what is the point of church? What is the point of coming together for those of us who no longer celebrate because of the Sabbath day but we celebrate the Lord's day? We come together for the reading and the teaching of God's word. It's not just efficient to be able to tell somebody like I heard this week a number of people were doing outreach in Armagh and it was very good. It was a fantastic Platform. It was a fantastic uh, play type element. They were going through a story that we see in the Gospels. And the very end their message was loud and clear. Jesus loves you and that you are a sheep who is lost. Now that is fantastic for those of us who know the context and the meaning. But to take that element further, if we're going to tell somebody that Jesus loves them, we need to understand and to press home so that they can be convicted by what it means that Jesus loves them. That Jesus loves them whilst they're still sinners. That Jesus loves them and that he died upon the cross for them. And to take and explain it. It's not just enough for us to leave the confines of this building to go out into the community or families and simply read aloud a passage of scripture without giving the meaning 
Because if there's no meaning there, you will not understand the need of the gospel or understand the meaning of the passage. We see this also in Acts 15. Verse 21. It says, For from ancient generations Moses has had in every city those who proclaim him, for he is read every Sabbath in the synagogues. Again, we could turn to so many different ones. We turn to Acts 2 and Colossians 4.16 this morning, which also points to the reading of the epistles, the reading of the letters from Paul, John, Peter, and so on. And how important it is when we get together, it's not just for the law of Moses, but it's also for New Testament understanding. So when he says here, back to 1 Timothy, he's emphasizing here to Timothy, do not shy away from what is primarily the point of church. Worship is part of church, but it's not listed here. We can turn to many different passages that point us to the necessity of coming together and singing hymns and psalms and spiritual songs together. That is crucial. But the point and the key here for getting the church right, for getting the church back on its feet, For giving the church a foundation that is going to uphold it and last it is based upon the reading of the word. This must have been one of the reasons why the church had gone astray. We don't know that, but Paul emphasizes it here. What are you going to devote yourselves to, Timothy? The reading. He would understand what that meant. Not just the reading, but also the reading and the explanation of it. He then goes on to say, read it, explain it. And then his next word that he uses... If I can find myself here, is reading of scripture and exhortation. Now, what is exhortation? It's not just enough, Timothy, when you gather together as church to read the word, to explain the word, but you also have to ex- exert an exhortation, which means application. Give the application of it. Make sure that there is reading, teaching, and that teaching should result in a warning. It should result in a rebuke. It should result in comfort. It should result in joy. There should be a result of the explanation of it. If somebody is currently here or in Timothy's time and they are in error, they would hear that error being explained and how they would come out of it through the reading of the scripture, the explanation of the scripture, and then the exhortation of the scripture, which is the practical application. It would mean nothing if we all came here this morning read the word of God, understood what it meant, but didn't apply it. It would be completely wasted on all of us. If we left here then and said, that's a, that's a good thing for me to understand, I, I understand it better, but there's no exhortation. There's no coming underneath the influence and the weight of the word. There's no rebuke, there's no warning, there's no building up, there's no comfort. There's nothing. That's why it's critical that you teach it, explain it, and also exhort it, which is give the application. And then he goes on and says, to teaching. Now you might think, well surely reading and explaining and exhortation is teaching. But it's not. The teaching is systematic doctrine. Teach doctrine to the church. So that they will not venture into error. Teach them what the scripture says from the beginning to the end. Give them sound teaching. We see this in 
Titus chapter 1 verse 9. If you turn there please. Where it lists the qualification for elders and says, He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught, so that he may be able to give instruction, sound doctrine, and also to rebuke those who contradict it. How are you going to know Timothy and the church in Ephesus and the church today if what you're hearing is an aberrant gospel? If what you're hearing is the reading of the the word, but it's being explained in a way that isn't correct, you look upon your doctrine. You hold fast to what the word of God teaches. That's for us. We call ourselves Baptists. And for anybody who's here today and a member of this church, you have affirmed that your convictions lie upon that of Baptist doctrine. Your convictions lie upon the doctrine of adult believer baptism. You do not believe in infant baptism. So anybody who's going to turn the passages and try to take isolated passages out of context or not take the entirety of the scriptures and what they mean could lead you into error if you did not understand sound doctrine. So make sure, Timothy, you're reading, you're exerting, and you're teaching, systematically teaching your way through the books of the Bible to gather together a treasury of doctrine so that the people can hold fast to it and know what they believe, be able to give the argument for why they believe it, and be able to lead people out of error through doctrine. This is what Timothy's called for and tasked to. And he then goes into in verse 14 and to say, In light of this, do not neglect the gift you have. This is crucial. You have to have a gift from God to be a teacher and proclaimer of his word. A shepherd of the church is a gift. You either have it or you don't have it. That's why you will know if a pastor or elders step down out of the church and they no longer feel that they want to pastor, then you have to come to two understandings. One, they were never called. They were never gifted. It was all of themselves. Or two, they are still called, they are still gifted, but they no longer can take the weight of pastoring the church and they're choosing to step out of God's perfect will for their life and step into error. Knowing that they are called and gifted like Timothy is here. So Paul's telling him, hold fast to the reading. Hold fast to, the, to, the, to the explaining the, the application of it. Hold fast to the teaching of the word. Teach the doctrine, but also hold fast to the fact that you're called to do it. Because when you read the word of God, explain what it means. Bring people under its conviction through, uh, to, through the application of it. And then also apply sound doctrine to that. You are going to have a backlash against you, Timothy. So great that those within the church are going to want to rebel if they're not underneath the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's exactly what happened, Timothy. We read this here. You have to ask yourself, how is it that Paul would even have to put in here, hold fast. Do not neglect the gift that you have, which was given to you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself. Why? Go to any church, even today, 
Don't care the denomination. Don't care the region. Don't care the country. Don't care the social platform, the culture or context, whatever it may be. If you have a church, quote unquote, a meeting place of people, and you put in a gospel preaching pastor teacher in a group of people who do not have a heart that has been changed and an inclination that has been changed and somebody who is preaching and preaching and preaching the word of God, those who hear it will rebel. You see it. Do we not time and time again? Pastor teachers who go into a denominational church or any church in any country or any region and they start to simply say, this is what the word of God says. Therefore, this is what you must apply. Therefore, this is what conviction you must come underneath. Not by my authority, but by the word of God. If you indeed call yourself a Christian, get him out. We want him gone. The church is starting to dwindle. We prefer the church full of goats than to have a shepherd who's going to teach and feed the sheep. Get us somebody who's going to simply read the word of God... Teach it in a way that does not convict me of my sin so that I may feel good in myself rather than feeling saved. We could turn to the passage that we all know so well whenever the people who saw the hand of God saw Pharaoh and all his armies being wiped out, saw the plagues, saw everything come to pass, saw the feeding in the wilderness saw Mount Sinai quake and tremble and thunder and lightning coming from it and yet they said make us a golden calf it's everywhere it's even in our own hearts whenever we ourselves waver whenever we ourselves are not as close to God as we should whenever we ourselves are not continually putting ourselves underneath the dying of self and the application of the Holy Spirit we ourselves can be led into I don't want to hear that I'm sick of being convicted. I'm sick of him constantly showing me this or showing me that. And that's not just our church, it's every church. It's me as well. So he says here, Timothy, hold fast. If you want to have a church that can be presented before God as the bride of Christ, you must read the word, explain the word, exhort the word, and teach doctrine to back up the word. But you've got to watch yourself. Because they're not going to like it. They're not going to want it. They're going to want you to go. And whenever you see Timothy, the church in Ephesus, dwindling, whenever you see numbers going down because all of those who have been given over to Satan are going to start wanting to leave because they can't take the weight and the gravity of God's word pressing upon their hearts and their souls and their minds, they're going to leave. And you're going to feel like a failure. Because you're going to look upon the church and it's not going to be the heaving, sinful mass of people that are gathered together. It may only be a few. That's exactly what happened, Timothy. If you turn to 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 3. Hear what Paul is saying to Timothy. He's already told him, teach the word, preach the word, exhort the word, doctrine, bring it into the church, Timothy, sort the church out, resolve it as the bride of Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit, because you have been called and equipped and gifted by God. This is what Paul says, verse 3, I thank God whom whom I serve, as did my ancestors with a clear conscience. 
As I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. Why? Because things are going so well in Ephesus? Because things are really turning around? We don't know. Verse 4. As I remember your tears. I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith. A faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. And now I am sure dwells in you as well. I remember who you were. I remember how far you were. I remember if we could turn to Acts 16 whenever he comes in and sees Timothy. And the brothers are speaking so well of him. I know you're the real deal. But I also know that you're fighting tears and pain and strife. And the church is coming in and attacking you and trying to challenge you. I'm praying for you Timothy day and night. Remembering how hard it is for you. For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God. Fan into flame? He's not already on fire. He's using an analogy here. Fan yourself. If you're turning one that raging fire that entered into Ephesus knowing the challenge that was there and here we are years into the ministry. Years into committees. Years into complaining. Years into moaning. Years into people challenging, challenging, challenging. Well, I heard this doctrine is right. I heard that this is right. I don't agree with that. That might be your opinion, Timothy. But that's not God's opinion. Look at the church, Timothy. We had 5,000, 400, 100, whatever it was before you came. Now there's just a tiny little fold of people. Fan yourself, Timothy. For you're turning into smolders. Get the breath of God back into you. Get yourself back on fire for the Lord. For this reason I remind you to fan the flame, the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Now it's personal, we read, through the laying on of the elders' hands. Now he's saying to remember it was me that laid his hands on you. I know that you have the gift. I was there. I heard the prophecy through the Holy Spirit. Just like we return to whenever the Holy Spirit said. Set apart Paul and Barnabas for specific ministry. We don't, understand, we don't read anywhere of this specific prophecy. But we could hold fast to the fact that Paul says I was there. My hands were on you. For God give us a spirit not of fear. But of power. Why does Timothy need to hear that? Because he's in ministry. Because he's doing the work and the labour of God. Because culture in Ephesus is completely compounding itself against the church in Ephesus and Timothy's teaching. We prefer our idols. We prefer our sexual morality. We prefer our alcohol and our whatever it is that is in that day. We don't want the word of God. Because we are truly still in darkness. Why are you afraid, Timothy? Why does Paul have to say this to you? You know you have the gift. You know you have the task. Don't be fearful, Timothy. And remember, we don't have a spirit of fear. We have a spirit of power, of love, and of self-control. Maybe Timothy, we don't know, in his own youthful lusts and passions, 
is looking around at the Judaizers, looking around at all those false teachers and, and mega apostles that are coming in and preaching aberrant gospels, seeing people giving to those ministries and all those things. And within himself, he yearns and he longs for that. We don't know, we can assume. But he's been reminded to be self controlled, he's been reminded not to be fearful. He's reminded to say that you actually have power that comes from the Lord. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about the Lord. He must have been ashamed. Don't be ashamed. It's truth. We see it today. In the culture that we live in today. Which is not as far gone as what it was in Ephesus' time. We are told that we have to be ashamed of the gospel. Aren't we? The gospel is homophobic. The gospel is mean. The gospel that is true, the gospel does not display a God of love who sends people to hell, but a God of wrath. Surely that can't be the gospel. Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony about the Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel. By the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. And which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher and apostle, and on he goes. Paul also goes on to say that everyone has left him. You know that everyone has left me, Timothy. Are you going to leave me too? We know how the church in Ephesus works out, don't we? We can turn to Revelation. They got a hold of the sound doctrine that Timothy did. So we know that he holds fast to this calling. We know that he holds fast to the preaching and to the teaching. We know that he holds fast and does not give in like so many others did. And he continued to serve and to follow after Christ through his mentor Paul. But we understand if we turn to Revelation that it says you have sound doctrine, you understand teaching, but this I have against you. You've lost your first love. You don't know who I am anymore. You've become puffed up. You went from being sinful, you went from having a hatred against doctrine, and now you've come and been puffed up both before the Lord is sinful. Back to 1 Timothy. Therefore, when we read this, we understand the context. Do not neglect the gift you have, which has been given by the prophecy. When the council of elders laid their hands, verse 14, in the verse 15, practice these things, immerse yourself in them, so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and the teaching and persist in this, for by doing so will you save both yourself and your hearers. It's an application for Timothy, it's an application for us as followers of Christ. We must immerse ourselves in his readings, or reading ourselves and understanding what it means. The exhortation of it, applying the word of God to our lives individually and getting ourselves into systematical doctrinal principles so that we understand what the entirety of scripture says rather than being led away and blown around by every wind of doctrine. 
We live in a day and age where there is 10,000 Gospels. Maybe more. Hundreds of thousands of Gospels. Different types of salvation through different types of Jesus. And yet the Word of God says there's only one. So how do we know that we ourselves today are following that one? You read the Word of God. You understand its meaning, whether it be through a study Bible, or whether it be through home groups, or whether it be through Bible studies. And then you fall underneath the weight of the application. Knowing all the while that if Timothy was at a point where he had to be encouraged and reminded to fan the flame his faith, what hope do we have? We have the hope of the Holy Spirit. We have the hope of God who will finish what he has started in us. And we have the hope if we would simply come underneath the weight of the Holy Spirit, although difficult, although hard, although practical changes may have to happen within the church, we have confidence to know that we are His. Amen? Let's pray.